0: Hello, 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 everybody!
1: Yeah, we're inside. We're inside. I'm
2: Posty. I'm Vidal. I'm George galloway and I'm Renee.
0: Yep, yep. I'm leading today's podcast, unfortunately, because <laughs> mikhail's swelling off somewhere.
1: Chicago himself. Yeah. Where's he? Chicago. Yes, yeah, I'm NFL. Really promotion stuff. Yeah. I'm
0: sure he'd rather be here, especially with George. I feel like you guys would have had a great conversation, but I'm gonna. Make it even more fun for you. No, sure. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so welcome, 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 welcome. Thank you. Woo! Right, so for those that don't know, who is George
2: Galloway? Uh, well, I'm running for mayor of London. I was for almost 30 years a member of parliament. Mm-hmm. Uh, for five of those quite nearby in Bethnal Green and Bow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was previously the MP for Glasgow until. Tony Blair expelled me from the Labour Party over the Iraq War. Yeah. I had to found my own party called Respect, which I think is a pretty cool name. It gives is. us the coolest anthem of them all, Aretha Franklin or Otis Redding, according yeah. to your taste. Uh, and I won that seat against all the odds, against a very big uh, Blair babe, as they called them, in the uh, tabloids at the time. She never demurred from that. She's now in the House of Lords, so she didn't lose much. Okay. Uh, and uh, then I stood in the Bradford West by-election in 2012, and I had a pretty spectacular victory. So that's who I am politically. I'm one of the leaders of the anti-war movement, yeah. fighting yeah. against austerity and so on. Uh, but I'm also married. I have uh, three small children, one of them very small, aged less than two and the others aged uh, four and a half and virtually nine in a week or two. Okay, yeah. Uh, So I like music, I like football, and I'm worried about the result of Real Madrid versus Manchester City this evening. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping you'll tic-tac me the... uh, the score as the goals go in yeah
1: no actually we've got it on tv just oh, by fantastic as well. yeah
2: well forgive me if you see me turning around <laughs> no that's uh, fine exciting moment i'm sure some yeah. of
0: the cast members will be looking as well i don't watch football myself personally okay. yeah i feel like it takes too much of your emotions away <laughs> from well, your it used daily to life for me.
2: i was a celtic supporter uh in scotland all of my life and uh, there's nothing more emotional than a Celtic Rangers game. yeah, yeah. Uh, And I, I actually stopped going to them because I thought I'm going to have a heart attack. Here. It's not good for you, It's not. football
0: right. and women. Now, before we dive into your, you've namely mentioned a few things that I want to touch on, Okay, such as your personal life, how you got into politics. I want to kind of get to where you actually began your career yeah. in politics. But before we do that, you spoke on an interesting point, which I never knew Um, that Tony Blair kicked you out of the Labour Party. What, what was that about, and how does one get kicked out of the Labour Party, for those that don't know?
2: Well, I was uh, one of the main leaders of the Stop the War Coalition that tried to stop the invasion and subsequent occupation of Iraq mm-hmm. by George Bush and Tony Blair back in 2003. It's like yesterday for me now, but I, I increasingly meet young people who make that point that you just have, that they didn't know that I had been expelled i had been in the labor party for 36 years since i was 13 years old wow i had been a labor member of parliament for 17 years and i had held all kinds of offices in the party i was the youngest ever chairman of the labor party in scotland for example at the age of 26 i was a kind of uh, labor whiz kid if you like yeah uh, so i was really in love with th- labor politics so and when so- you got kicked out how 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 did it feel? It was a stab in the heart, I'll a tell kick you. In the teeth, yeah. An absolute stab in the heart. And I spent thousands of pounds of my own money trying to stop them kicking me out. Yeah. I hired lawyers, QCs. Uh, I had the benefit of a pro bono barrister, Nick DeMarco, who's become quite famous and who was fantastic. I had uh, Michael Foote, the late leader of the Labour Party, Tony Benn, the late everything to the Labour Party, uh, as my character witnesses, begging Blair's people not to kick me out. Uh, but at the end of a, a kangaroo court, basically, yeah, uh, in less than 36 seconds, I was summarily politically executed. And it really felt like a stab so in the heart. So you wasn't
1: given any prior warning?
2: Well, they suspended me first because they said that my opposition to the Iraq war was was beyond the pale. Uh, I was calling Tony Blair a liar, the leader of the Labour Party. Of course, that's nothing now because everybody knows he's a liar. Uh, (laughs) You'd be laughed out of court if you pretended that he wasn't. But back then, it was a disciplinary action. And... uh, so no I I knew that it was coming I wasn't sure that they would go through with it in the end especially when Mr. Foote and Mr. Ben uh, pleaded with them not to but they were determined So how did Tony Blair do it like what what was his approach to doing it like he instructed his place men and women on the national executive to bring charges against me that I had uh, abused the leadership false from, charges uh, I imagine Oh totally well in a way, I mean, I had abused the leader of. By the definition, party, but morally, uh, you felt like you did. But I, I could do no other because I knew Iraq better than anybody else. Yeah. Anybody else in Britain? What's your relationship
1: with Iraq then? For you? Well, know, I, so I, I became
2: extremely close to the Iraqi people. Yeah. And it, it kind of entered my bloodstream, and it's never left. It. Even today, if I hear someone say the word Iraq, yeah, I turn as if you they call yeah. my name. Uh, it was as close as that. So I knew that everything that Bush and Blair were saying was a lie yeah. before others did. But two million people marched in London on uh, February 15th, 2003, the biggest march ever in British history. Yeah. So, you know, by the time the war began, the majority of people in Britain were against it. Uh, Even before they knew what they know now. Yeah. That there were no weapons of mass destruction. And that was the whole legal basis for the invasion. And I predicted, including to his face, that everything that has happened would happen. Yeah. I said, there's no Al-Qaeda in Iraq. But if you invade, there will be tens of thousands. I said, I underestimated. There'll be tens of thousands of Al-Qaeda in Iraq. I told them that the fall of Baghdad would not be the beginning of the end, but just the end of the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and so it turned out. And now there is war everywhere. What was the, the response region. when you met Saddam Hussein? Like what,
3: was their, what was the, the party's response? Uh,
2: well, in 1993, when I met him for the first of two meetings, it was a very brief uh, sort of pass by by him, a group of European MPs and former military men from Greece and so on. Uh, We were there to see the effect of the sanctions, which even in 1993 was beginning to lay waste to the children in particular. You know that 575,000 children under the age of four died in Iraq under these sanctions. And the American Secretary of State, Madeleine Albright, when asked about that number on TV, she said, well, we think the price is worth it. So it was worth killing 575,000 children. So I always ask people imagine a mount, imagine if you could see out in that yard there. Just a pile of bodies. If you could see 575,000 dead children, you'd change your policy pretty quickly. 100%. Yeah. Uh, So uh, I I did get into a bit of hot water then. Uh, By the time I met him for the last time, the second time, uh, I think I was suspended already from the Labour Party by then, and I was very soon after expelled. But I met him to ask him to allow the arms inspectors to go back in. And I told him bluntly that uh, if he didn't, the West, or at they least Britain reason. and America, they were going to invade. Yeah, And he immediately agreed. And I feel really quite bad about that now, because you could say that my arguments were... Maybe he was headed that way anyway, but you could argue that I persuaded him to let the arms inspectors back in. They destroyed what was left of Iraq's defences. And then very quickly afterwards, Bush and Blair invaded and Iraq was not able to defend itself. So uh, these were the two times I met Saddam Hussein. Uh, Sorry to cut you off, George. What was Saddam
0: like as a person?
2: Well... You know, it would be easy for me to say he was stark raving, mad, and, uh, you know, monstrous uh, in the meetings I had with him, but he he wasn't.
1: He's still a human Uh, at the end of the
2: day. Of course. And uh, he made gigantic mistakes. He committed very bad crimes, but he was rational and he wanted a rational, negotiated solution to the crisis.
1: Which was...
0: So you describe him as a rational person. Yeah,
2: but he was on this question, definitely. He didn't want the country to be invaded. Uh, so he was ready to negotiate uh, an end to it, uh, which was to allow the inspectors back in to prove that what he was saying was right and what Bush and Blair were saying was wrong. I mean, he's a dictator and all, but it's come to something, that it was the dictator that was telling the truth and the so-called leaders of the free world who were telling the lies. Hmm. Um, so he, he was rational to the extent that he wanted a negotiated end to the crisis, but Bush and Blair had no intention. They intended to invade whatever happened, whether any weapons were found. Yeah. So
0: for, for, for those who don't know, what was the reason why they invaded in your, in your opinion?
2: I say there's three reasons. Uh, Most people say that my first reason is the main reason I don't agree. Oil, control of the world's oil resources. They already control Saudi Arabian oil. To have a player like Iraq that didn't cooperate with Western power, that stood up to Western power, uh, was very inconvenient to say the least. And they thought that Iraq had to be cut down and probably broken up, which is what's happened. It's now three Iraqs, yeah, there's the Kurdish North, there's the ISIS-controlled West, and there's the heavily Iranian-influenced East, uh, including Baghdad and Basra, where uh, Basra is where the second biggest oil field is. So oil was, I think, one of the reasons, but I don't believe it was the main reason. Israel was the second reason. Israel can never accept any powerful Arab country. It has to break it. It has to undermine it, and if necessary, break it. I think the most important reason is my third reason. It was to demonstrate the United States' overwhelming power so that nobody anywhere would stand up to them. You have to know that the Soviet Union had ceased to exist, America was the sole superpower, and the neocons, the wild right-wingers, had just come to power. And they had drawn up a project before coming to power called the Project for a New American Century, in which they stated that in this century, the 21st, no power or any collection of powers that was in any way capable of standing up to American leadership, as they would call it, domination, I would call it, of the world would be permitted. So it was to terrify China terrify Russia, which was just beginning to come out of its uh, post-breakup slump, yeah. uh, to terrify all the powers of the world that might emerge in the course of this century, never to challenge American hegemony. And in that sense, the war was a spectacular blunder. It was a crime, you but think it was it also didn't. a blunder because it demonstrated it the opposite. Yeah. Yeah, it demonstrated the limits of American power. Not the extent of it. You see, you can destroy countries from the skies, but if you can't control them on the ground, then you, you don't rule them. And the Iraqi resistance, just individuals with small arms, they drove the American and British. Would you say America was bullying? out of the country? Sorry? Would you say they was bullying like Absolutely. The United States is the world bully. It yeah. has invaded more than fifty countries since the end of the Second World War. It has killed millions of people, five million in Vietnam and Cambodia alone. Uh, And uh, it's invaded more than 50 countries and there's only 23 countries that Britain hasn't invaded (laughs) yet. Yet. What, left in the world? Yes, Britain (laughs) Britain has invaded all but 23 countries in the world, yet. And it, uh, it, it might on. begin Is
0: America one of them? Uh, oh, it's invaded, invaded, yeah. We did. yeah we, American did. American. we did. We did well, invade early America. Early days, yeah. yeah. We did. <laughs>
1: when you speak, when I listen to you speak, I, I hear a lot of rebellion hmm. straight away. Where, where does that stem from? Where in your, in your early days?
2: I, I've always had it. My mother would tell you that I was the only boy she ever heard of who always supported what we called the Red Indians yeah. against the cowboys and the cavalry. I was always the guy, the un- even as a young underdog. boy, I was always hoping that uh, Cochise would win or sitting bull would triumph. Yeah. Uh, I hate bullies. I hate big countries bullying small countries. I hate rich people bullying poor people. I hate white people bullying and enslaving black people. I hate the abuse of power, yeah. and in that sense, I've therefore always been a rebel. Yeah. Uh, since I was uh, 14 years old, Che uh. Guevara has been on my wall, and he's still <laughs> on my... I have more pictures of Che Guevara than you <laughs> <no could> <laughs> possibly count. You mentioned
0: Israel earlier, before yeah. we completely dive into um, Vidal's questions. Uh, I just wanted to establish you said that israel didn't want to see they don't like to see arab countries get too powerful or seem to undermine them what 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 does that what is the relationship between israel and the western countries like america have to do with it basically what's the relationship
2: Uh, next year will be the centenary of the beginning of the palestinian tragedy
0: obviously i know what a centenary is but for those who don't know what is that
2: It'll be a hundred, no, it's a fair point. It'll be a hundred years next year to the, uh, going back to the Balfour Declaration when the British Foreign Secretary, Mr. Balfour, promised on behalf of one people, us, to a second people, a small group of European Jews, white Jews, the land that belonged to a third people, the Palestinian people. These... Settlers wanted a settler state, just like the whites had in South Africa, in Rhodesia, as it then was called, and in many, many other places in the world. They said, we want a piece of that action. They were Europeans, they were European Jews, they represented a small, tiny section of the European Jewish population, most of whom were left-wing people. They were right-wing nationalists, They called themselves Zionists. They were ready to take many other places before Palestine. They negotiated with Balfour for the Seychelles, for Uganda, for Patagonia in Argentina. They asked, can we have this? And we'll set up a settler state there. Uh, But in the end, they were given Palestine without the Palestinian people being consulted, of course. And they were then kicked off their land and driven so to the four so corners, corners these of that literally earth
0: invaded Palestine.
2: Yes. and did what? Well, they began to arrive in larger and larger numbers, and then began. And who
0: was who was allowing them in? Not the Palestinian people. Of well,
2: course. before nineteen eighteen, there was a very small number. Nineteen eighteen. Yeah. Okay. But after the Turkish Empire was defeated in the First World War, Britain became the power that controlled Palestine. So, in other words. Mr. Balfour made this promise even before Britain possessed Palestine as a colony. And in the British period, they allowed more and more and more of these Zionist settlers to come from Europe and take over the land because they could.
1: And Palestine has kept shrinking over the years.
2: Yes. Uh, If you look at the map, you'll see how it uh, changed. And now there is no Palestine. It doesn't exist. It's been wiped off the map. I think it's important that I stress this point uh on this channel this was a colonial project just like the other colonial projects the whites took south africa archbishop tutu said they came they taught us to pray with our eyes closed and when we opened them they'd stolen all our country (laughs) from all around us they came with the bible in one hand and the gun in the other they did the same in zimbabwe they did the same in Namibia. did the same in uh, Mozambique and Angola, except it was the Portuguese rather than the British. They did the same in the Congo, except it was the Belgians. All these European powers seized the land. Of course, they'd long been looting the land, including of the people. They, they, They didn't just take everything they could carry, they took everybody they could carry as slaves. And Britain's wealth was built on that plunder not just of the resources of Africa, but the people of Africa. Uh, It's a redemption song I'm singing here, but but it's a fact. So in the end, they decided that they would form colonial states there. And thus you got apartheid in South Africa and in Zimbabwe and in Namibia. And you got arguably even worse in the Belgian Congo, which was the richest of all African countries which had the greatest of all African leaders, Patrice Lumumba, who was murdered by-
0: Arguably, I don't think Kwame Nkrumah was quite a- He was also a great leader, a great he was also leader, a great leader. But Patrice Lumumba
2: was cut down at a very young age. He was only 31 yeah. when they murdered him. Yeah. Uh, I would argue that Patrice Lumumba was the, the greatest of all African leaders, mm-hmm. but we'll never know because they murdered how him. Is,
1: how, um, so you have, in terms of awareness of like the black community and history, you are pretty like in your zone, you know what you're talking about. But in terms of in the UK, how was it during, I don't know, um, Brixton riots, First Broadwater Farm riots? What was your involvement with those situations?
2: Well, I lived in Scotland then. Yeah. Uh, but uh, funnily enough, uh, the day after the first Brixton riots, I yeah. was in in Brixton. I've got a picture to uh, prove it, but <laughs> I, even I, it. it just was a coincidence. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I was not surprised because the oppression of black people in Britain yeah. uh, was uh, constant. Uh, the target has slightly moved now. If you're black and you're a Muslim, you're in really really You've got a trouble. Short hand. <laughs> uh, but uh, the target has slightly moved. But all. Oh, the minority communities, perhaps not exactly all, uh, in Britain, are oppressed. Yeah. And did you uh, work when...
1: with some of the minority groups? Like you, I know we're Feel like small collections of groups, such as like the Nation of Islam and those kind of sections of society, those groups amongst the Black community. Mm. Did you?
2: No, I would be more allied to the. The left-wing, yeah. uh, progressive uh, forces amongst uh, black people. Yeah, uh, people like Lee Jasper, I was once very close to, and he stood as a candidate for us.
1: Have you done much reading about Rastafarianism? I feel like.
2: Yeah, I've you met have... the uh, Rastafarians in various places, and I was on Galaxy Radio. Yeah, a couple of uh, weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and it was supposed to be for half an hour. And I think it lasted <laughs> about three uh, <laughs> hours. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I know the black community in London very well, and my stand has nothing to do with color, by the way, because I'm just white, what's as right you can and what's see. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the The Voice newspaper yeah. once described me as Britain's finest black leader. Uh, <laughs> oh, blo- uh, oh, closest bit, we've got. Clinton. <laughs> I'm a bit. I'm a bit like Elvis in
3: that uh, <laughs> that regard. So, what was your take on like? Um, when Mark Duggan got shot, what was your what was your take on
2: that? I was one of those uh, protesting uh, against it and about it, and uh, we have my wife and I have a television show that we have exhaustively dealt with this subject. Uh, I've interviewed uh, Mark Duggan's relatives and community leaders in Tottenham, uh, who were outraged as I was at what happened. See, what, what happens is the same thing happened with John Charles de Menezes, the Brazilian yeah. Yeah. On the train. electrician. They get slain, then they get slandered. Yeah. See, it's not enough to slay them. You have to then slander them to justify having slayed them. So in John Charles's uh, uh, case, well, if he hadn't overstayed his visa, he'd still be alive. Uh, or uh, he was legitimately suspected of being a, a Muslim terrorist. Uh, and so they got him on the ground with his face on the floor and put five bullets into his head. Yeah. In Mark Duggan's case, first he had a gun, uh, he then uh, he threw a gun yeah. away, and then it turns out that you'd need to be an acrobat to have <laughs> uh, got the gun where the gun, a gun, was, uh, was found. And this shoot to kill... I'm campaigning on the issue of the Metropolitan Police, and one of the one of the demands I make is that the London Police Force has to look like London, and it doesn't. The number of minority community officers is going down, not up.
1: Do you think body cameras will, will help? They as will well? help, but this, also wasn't in Mark Duggan's case there was issues with CCTV.
2: Well, the CCTV never works when you want it to, or. Perhaps it never works when some other people don't want it to. Yeah. Uh, Look, I don't know whether Mark Duggan, uh, I know that he had uh, issues with the law in the past, Yeah. but I believe he was shot in cold blood and I believe he was then slandered after he was shot. That's my view.
0: Can I ask you a question, George? Not to quickly dwell, not to dwell on it, just briefly. You said people came and invaded those countries with a Bible in one hand, and a gun in the other. So where does that leave you religiously? Do you believe in God or not at all?
2: I do absolutely believe in God. Mm. And uh, the fact that uh, people, whether they are European colonialists or ISIS fundamental fanatics, uh, misuse and abuse religion doesn't invalidate the religion at all. I don't believe that Jesus would have stolen the land from the people. Yeah. But those who put on the dog collars and the... Uh, See, empires have always dressed up their uh, their actions uh, in, in, in clothes, civilizing clothes, you see. We're, we're there in Africa because they're not capable of running their own affairs, so we have to hold their hand and with our other hand we'll scoop up everything that we can carry uh, as, a, as, a, as a kind of fee for our uh, humanitarian our works. Now they've dropped the religious reasons for colonialism, and they dress up in humanitarian clothes, but only very selectively. So you can invade Iraq on humanitarian grounds, but be best friends with Saudi Arabia next door, yeah. which has the worst uh, record of any regime on the earth. So they're very uh, selective. When say that, what do you mean? Well, uh, Saudi Arabia, women are not allowed to drive cars, people get their heads chopped off in public uh, and on TV. Uh, on Friday afternoons, I myself have seen uh, such a thing actually well, you've seen, happen. You've actually yeah, seen I have. Beheaded. I have. Uh, the dungeons are full of people. Uh, there's a boy about to be crucified. I'm not making this up. Literally crucified. Wow. He's for 17 years old for being on a demonstration calling for democracy. Saudi Arabia is the most evil, wicked regime in the world, and it is the fountainhead and the and the financier of ISIS, Al-Qaeda type terrorism yeah. in the world. Yet they're our best friends. Why? Because they keep all their money here and because we sell them the weapons with which they repress their own people.
1: Cameron was put on the spot about that as well recently, wasn't he? Of, yeah, uh,
2: but not enough. Yeah. I mean, the, they flew the Saudi flag. They flew the flags at half mask uh, here when the Saudi king died, even on top of Downing Street. Yeah, this is a ruthless, bloody tyranny. And yet they're always telling us that they're standing up for human rights and liberty in the world. They're just hypocrites. I always say this, Britain's not a democracy. It's a hypocrisy. Yeah. It's an organized hypocrisy.
0: Of course. When, when, because when, I, I, I really take to you when you're talking, I, I didn't really care much for politics before, but you've opened my eyes to a lot of things. What do you think was the impact of you being expelled from the Labour Party in terms of your political career? Do you think that it stifled it a little bit? Do you think that you would be in different positions that you are now or quicker than you are currently? Uh,
2: if I hadn't been expelled from the Labour Party, I'd be sitting next to Jeremy Corbyn on the front bench of the Labour uh front bench in parliament now are you for on, on that there's are no are you with doubt. him or? yes absolutely i've been i just like to bring you up something
3: you yeah. said that you'd rejoin the labor party if corbyn was <clears throat> for, sorry if mm. corbyn was re-elected it was elected yeah. as um mm. the leader yeah. um what's your stance on that right now
2: well i demand that labor rescind the expulsion they I'm, still haven't rescinded it now they haven't still, no, okay they haven't because he can't because jeremy is currently a prisoner uh of the mps And he wouldn't be able to pull it off. Uh, But uh, eventually, I have no doubt that if Jeremy remains the leader, uh, that this will be done. But you can see my position. I'm not going to go cap in hand and say, please, let me into the Labour Party, because my stand is I should never have been expelled from it in the first place. But at the
1: same time, you also have your own party respect. Yeah. How do you find... Leading a small party in first past the post system, where it's very tough. You only have one government or a coalition.
2: It's very, very tough. You can win by-elections, and I did spectacularly in uh, Bradford West. Yeah. If Sadiq Khan is elected as the mayor, and I'm not, yeah, then there'll be a parliamentary by-election in two. Why do you think? We and should I'll should run vote. for that.
1: Yeah. Why do you think we should pick someone like yourself over someone like Sadiq Khan?
2: Well, if you look at my record... Yeah. Uh, and, Sorry to interject. Before we continue, yeah. Like for the
3: youth that don't care about politics, like my friend over here posted prior to this interview... Mm-hmm. Like, yeah.
2: He knew that Kwame Nkrumah was a great yeah. leader. <laughs> yeah, he knows a lot about politics. It was indoctrinated okay, from, right, from a young okay. age.
3: A lot of people don't really care, but I'm, now's your chance. Like, I want to like, convince these people at home that are playing PS4 that don't care about politics. like Convince them why they should come and vote for you over like the rich person... And over Sadiq Khan, what's his name? What's the other gentleman? sack Goldsmith. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I, you'd need your head examined to vote for uh, the Tory candidate, not because he's not a good person. He is. He's quite an honourable man, actually. Yeah. But he is David Cameron and George Osborne's candidate. And if there's anybody listening to this that is content to give a victory to David Cameron and George Osborne after all they've done, well, I'd be surprised. So I don't think the issue is Zach Goldsmith. Yeah. Uh, even though, as I say, I mean, as a person, I like him much more than Sadiq Khan. Well, I London's typically him. left anyway, so... It is. We wouldn't need to worry it about it. Uh, I, I really don't it. think there's any possibility yeah. of Goldsmith winning. Um, Sadiq Khan has nothing like my experience, and his politics are the diametric opposite of mine. He's Tony Blair Labour. I'm Jeremy Corbyn Labour. Yeah. <laughs> so if you like Jeremy Corbyn, you should give me your first preference vote. You can give your second preference vote to him if you like.
1: But you're the main man. <laughs> uh, but
2: you should give your first preference vote to me. I'm the one that opposed all the wars that he supported. I'm yeah. the one that opposed all the cuts and austerity that he you supported. You take your money
1: from... The
2: and it's a good point. And everything I'm, well. I'm fighting for the tenants. He's taking shed loads of money. From the property developers. Yeah.
0: What, kind of, what kind of power does the mayor have?
2: Well, it has a lot of Here's power. Who's the current mayor? <coughs> uh, Boris Johnson.
0: <laughs> I know that. <laughs> everybody knows Boris Johnson. He's yeah. the... Yeah.
2: Well, you know, you've made a point. The there. hair guy. Everybody knows Boris Johnson and everybody knew Ken Livingston before him. Yeah. Uh, but nobody knows Sadiq Khan. <laughs> no, and we nobody never knows. Known. Uh, Zach Goldsmith. We only care about you, George. But, but, I care about you, George. George for mayor. George for mayor. George for mayor. George, George, George. So I, what what I, kind of
0: powers I, does one have?
2: Yeah, it, well, first of all, it's a gigantic budget. It's 18 billion pounds a year.
1: What, to spend?
2: Yeah, so over... Do you like f- Graham? Over, <laughs> <laughs> over, uh, over... Actually, f-
1: no, that's a good point. Do you feel like there's a way of tapping into our communities? Because typically, black and ethnic Asian minorities we're not good voters well you so know how you, can you've we... raised
2: an important point ken livingston lost because he was accused of doing too much for black people
3: yeah serious
2: yeah but black people didn't come out to vote for him <laughs> <laughs> if if they had ken livingston would never have what lost what do you think it would take Johnson. for
1: what do you what do you think what do you think it would take to win over the community because we are very skeptical They skeptic have to
2: believe uh, that it will make a difference i think yeah they have to uh, believe in the credibility of the person who's sending them the message. Yeah. And I think my, all my experience yeah. with black people in London uh, is positive in that regard. But you have to vote. Yeah. There's no point in, uh, in saying, oh, that's a pity, Ken lost. You see the Evening Standard ran a campaign against Ken Livingston day after day, yeah. throughout the whole election, that Ken was the mayor for blacks. Ken was the mayor that put millions yeah. of pounds into black community organizations. And it hurt him. It really hurt him out in the outer boroughs where there are fewer black people, but where they vote in much larger numbers.
1: Oh, um, that Same up is true of Muslims, point. by
2: the way. Yeah. Ken Livingston was similarly accused of being the mayor for Muslims. Yeah. But the Muslims didn't, didn't
1: vote. vote. Uh, this reminds me almost of Obama. Well, he it was able to get the but because he is one himself. But also his use of artists like Diddy and he embraced the, the music. And we care about music more than anything else almost. But I don't see any other politicians, Penny, our scene or, or our worth, when in actual fact, we have a lot of cultural capital and influence over what happens in this city, whether people like it or not. But it's not embraced. Is that something you've ever thought of or... Is this the first time you've actually been aware, in fact, of what I'm actually saying?
2: No, uh, I'm absolutely aware of it. It's why I, I jumped at the chance to come and talk to you. Yeah. Uh, I am absolutely conscious that, particularly amongst young people, but not exclusively, I mean, when I was on Galaxy Radio, they weren't young, Yeah. but they weren't engaged in politics. Uh, <laughs> they, were, uh, they were much more interested in the cultural side of things, in music, and in uh in black history and so on they didn't uh, automatically strike me as people who'd be the first in the queue to vote on the on the 5th of may so i'm absolutely conscious of it yeah and i although i'm not young of course uh i have i have a young asian wife who's uh extremely artistic she is in fact an artist um and uh, so i think i'm in touch, I'm way ahead of the others. For example, on social media, yeah, I have a million. Well, you're followers. known for
1: blocking loads of people. I've, well, they <laughs> say that,
2: but I've got a million followers. So, so imagine how many I'd have if I didn't. Yeah, Uh, block them I block racists that's you controlling your actual uh, Twitter as well Uh, I block racists I block bigots yeah I block blasphemers I block people okay so if you've been blocked it's for a good reason oh definitely I don't (laughs) block uh, because they disagree with me there's tons of people there that disagree with me I think
1: I'm blocked by Andy Love actually oh yeah yeah we had an exchange I can't remember too well but Yeah, I'm blocked.
3: (laughs) No,
2: well, I don't block on uh, political grounds. Is it you
3: blocking or is it someone doing
2: your Twitter blocking? It's mostly me. Okay. Uh, (laughs) On the Facebook, not, because Twitter's a pretty full-time kind of job. Yeah. I've got a quarter of a million followers on Twitter, and I tweet a lot, and they tweet a lot at me. Yeah. So it would be mainly me on Twitter. Obviously, I take responsibility anyway if someone did it on my behalf, it's still my yeah. responsibility. Are you and, uh, I just reinstated two people yeah. while we were waiting in the traffic queue outside. So if people, through someone else, yeah. say, you blocked me, I'm, I'm sorry I swore. I, I don't <laughs> block everybody that swears, but if they use particularly bad words, yeah. the C word and so on, I have to block them because that's uh, not right. Um, but if they make an appeal... Of course, I reinstate them. When
0: when are the elections?
2: They're uh, a week on Thursday, on the fifth of May, and uh, that's the mayoral election. I'm standing for mayor and for the London Assembly, which is on the same day. Yeah. And can if win,
0: I, are they can you win both? Uh, yeah. Yeah, you uh, can. You yeah. can. Yeah. And which one do you want more?
2: Oh, mayor, definitely, because the mayor One's is the boss. The mayor way. spends okay. that eighteen billion. But, and I'm going to make it billion, trans- billion, 18 billion, saying. billion a year. Imagine what, over four strict, years.
0: Strictly on London.
3: Yeah. Oh, uh,
2: okay. uh, now I, I'm going to put it all online mm. through blockchain technology developed here in London, which will mean that second by second, you will see where the money's going and to whom it's going.
0: Oh, you can do that?
2: Yeah. I so, just want to ask, um, you see, for the youth, you're, you're big
3: on the youth. Yeah. Um, What's your take on like, youth clubs being abort, like, abolished and like, there's no schemes or anything to help the youth? Like, what's your, what
2: would you do if you had that $18 billion to to like, change well, it? Well, uh, I gave an interview to BBC Schools Television the other day. It's available on YouTube. It's not a bad interview and it deals in depth with this question. The uh, youth services are the first to be cut. Yeah. when when the austerity wind blows, what's the first thing they cut? Youth services. Youth services should be the last thing that they cut. Because a stitch in time saves nine. And if you if and much more than nine actually, because yeah. you know they talk about gangs. Look, when I was your age, maybe a bit younger, I was in a gang. They called it a gang. I called it my friends. Yeah. I was on the road. <laughs> and I was on the road. Why was I on the road? Because there wasn't that? anywhere else yeah. to go. What could you do? You could only be on the corner, on the road, uh, with your friends. We were all the same. We all lived in a council house. We all lived in one council house estate. Uh, We were all Catholics of Irish extraction. We felt an affinity. Did you rap or make music
1: by any chance? Sorry? Did you you, you make music by any chance? No.
2: When I was that age, it was uh, in the 1960s, very early 1960s. But I was heavily into music. Stacks was my... uh, I was into Stax Records. I, don't I have know. no idea what that it, is. Well, there You're was Tamla Motown, which was the more commercial end. And there was Stacks with people like Sam and Dave, Otis Redding, oh, okay. uh, Junior Walker. Uh, was that the, around
1: the time of like Northern Soul and all that kind no, of no, stuff?
2: No, no, long before that. Long before. Uh, so I used to, uh, what we called uh, Plunk Off School, play Truant and go to my uh, cousin's house who had a huge collection of Stax Records. Uh, so I was heavily into music. Yeah. We were mods, basically. Do you know oh, what a okay, mod Yeah, is? I know what a mod is. We, yeah. were, we were mods. Levi's, monkey boots, Harrington jackets, which you can still get uh, yeah. now. People um, even
1: dress like that now. But I feel like um, those, those, those sides of you as a person, that's who the young people kind of want to see and actually think, yeah, this guy actually was kind of not too different from me.
2: Well, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely the hit candidate
1: yeah <laughs>
0: George, speaking speaking of hip you know i can't let you get away with it the big brother incident yeah let's let's dive into that yeah, yeah. what was going on there with the, the well meow stuff? Meow.
2: first of all i uh i did it to raise a lot of money for charity which yeah. i did oh yeah. okay the, the charity that i raised went to gaza and there weren't many other people giving money to the kids in Gaza. Oh, so it's
0: actually oh, for a good reason. so
2: yeah. everyone chose their own uh
0: but everyone doesn't do it for charity though right
2: yeah uh, you do, uh, well, so you, but you get celebrity. Much, so
0: you don't get paid to go. Uh, you also
2: get paid, and I used my pay to employ two new office workers, and my charity money went to Gaza. The other oh, participants so you get paid and you get charity yeah, money. Yeah, that. but not everybody gets paid the same amount of, yeah, of, course. of course. Uh, money, of course. But uh, mine went on uh, on staff. Mm. Uh, so wait, in, in you did that incident for so charity. I've got, yeah.
0: No, he went in the house. I went in the house, and you just did that because. But you if went I'd you.
2: been thrown out of the house, yeah, then my charity money would all have been lost, right? Yeah. Uh, and when you get
0: thrown out of the house, do
2: you lose the money they paid
0: you to go in there as well?
2: I don't think so, but you definitely lose your share of this charity money. Okay. Uh, uh, so when you're given a task, if you refuse to do it, you're out. Okay. So my problem was, <laughs> I did my task too well. Yeah. If I if I had just been pretending to be a cat then nobody would remember it (laughs) but because when I do anything I try to do it as well as I can I was too good a cat but was you thinking back home like
1: people are watching this my friends and family are actually watching me doing this on tv nationwide as I I don't know if you know
2: but as soon as I came out of the big brother house I got a radio show on talk sport and my theme music was top cat I'm going back on talk radio in a few weeks and again, my theme will be top cat. So I embrace this. I like cats. Everybody yeah. wants to be a cat, as uh, as they said in the great movie, The Aristocats, which I recommend to you. Uh, and Thomas O'Malley is the kind of cat that I'm at. And he was the star of that particular movie. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you go mad in the Big Brother house. Would you do the jungle one? No, I wouldn't do any more. I've done, it, <laughs> I've done it enough. Uh but I'm, I'm here to tell you that you simply go mad. I went in there thinking, no television, no radio, nothing to read. Yeah. Uh, a lot of very strange people with me, two of whom I became very firm friends with. Uh, but uh, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna write a novel in my head. That was my plan. But by the end, <laughs> you're saying, where, you did fried, yeah. where, did, where did he get those cigarettes? He didn't have any cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> You're completely mad on it. And then all kinds of currents come in. So I was particularly close to Dennis Rodman. I still am. Yeah. Dennis Rodman, the American basketball player. Legend. Uh, Yeah. Now he was my pal and I looked out for him and he was getting a hard time uh, off, uh, what's his name now? The comedian that uh, got into a lot of trouble. It'll come back to me, but people who watched it will remember it. He was baiting Dennis all the time and I stood up for Dennis. It's one of the reasons why, in general, black people of a certain age, because this was 12 years ago now, right? Yeah. Uh, quite like me, because they saw me standing up for Dennis. You got your and the, <laughs> That was 12 years ago? Yeah. <laughs>
0: wow. Uh, and
2: the um, And the other person I became close to was Pete Burns. Uh, the, I don't know how you would call him, uh, you wouldn't call him a cross-dresser particularly, although it's quite funny, Dennis also dabbled in cross-dressing Oh, okay Uh, and uh but Pete Burns is a pure man but he dresses in what most people would describe as women's clothes though he doesn't but they're definitely very unusual clothes uh he was a genius I mean Pete Burns was a cross between Oscar Wilde and Dorothy Parker he was funny razor sharp brilliant observation and so on uh so I became friendly with them and uh actually not far from here, billed Pete Burns out of jail. What for? No, it was a domestic. It was a domestic. Oh, okay. um, <clears throat> so he phoned me. I was his friend. <laughs> phone yeah. a friend. So I billed him out. Uh, Dennis... Regularly invited me to his beach house in Malibu, but I knew it would get me into lots of trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever go? Did you ever have you
3: spoken to Rula Olenska since? No, I haven't actually. I see she had
2: a quite a uh, dramatic uh, car accident uh, recently. Um, No, I haven't spoken to
0: her. How to paint this picture for me? So basically, not to dive into your finances or anything like that,
2: but I always. You're welcome. They're an open book. Okay, cool.
0: So, like, in that case, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got I've got a
2: hundred quid on me right now, <laughs> <laughs> and you'll have when you leave. have nothing. i always try to have a hundred.
0: No I'm joking. Um, no, I'm not, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> so okay, so basically, so you see people that rule the world, like the prime ministers, the presidents, people, and political parties. How lucrative it? How lucrative is it to hold such a position, for example? Because you know. On paper and when I've seen just out of hearing things and just being in the world, it doesn't seem to strike me as if you was like the president. You might be on two million dollars yeah. a year. I don't know the, the 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 figures or the facts and figures. But how rich can you be in these positions?
2: Uh, well, you're so wrong about that number. Okay, uh, the, <laughs> the, that was just the a, the, a thing. the prime minister of Britain, for example, earns yeah. less than the mayor of London. Uh, an MP earns less than uh, the head of the history department in Bo School there. Uh, so they don't become rich from the job. Our From so everything is, that comes with it. Every, our problem is they become rich after the job. You see Tony Blair, we, my wife and I have just made a movie which will be, I hope, premiered at Cannes at the film festival. Okay. We
0: premiere it for you on uh, grmdaily.com, you know, you
2: I hope uh, that we'll come back and talk about that. We but get numbers. The film, is called, uh, the film is called The Killings of Tony Blair. Yeah. Now, in that film, I give your uh, viewers uh, uh, advance notice. In that yeah. film, we demonstrate that Tony Blair has made more than 100 million pounds in eight years eight since is. leaving office. Wow. So wow. The, problem, the problem is not what they get paid while they're in the job, it's that they use the job to go on to the real job. He gets which is paid making what, what lots is the real and job? lots of money. How do
0: they make such figures? How well, it? it's
2: never happened before, so it's new territory. Uh, British prime ministers generally, after they left office, went to the House of Lords, where, of course, you have to declare all your earnings and so on, and made occasional speeches, wrote books, made uh, uh, the occasional foreign uh, tour, and so on, but they never concentrated on piling up money but Blair and Cameron after him uh, have in the case of Blair and I predict in the case of Cameron touted themselves around any dictatorship that will employ them any corporation that will employ them and plenty will
1: so just being a puppet essentially yeah
2: Yeah. I mean what and so how do you know here's the the, the, what we used to call the $64,000 question when $64,000 was a vast amount of money. Uh, The $64,000 question is this. How do you know that your prime minister is doing what he's doing in office because he really thinks it's the right thing or because he's going to get paid a fortune by the people that benefit from what he's doing when he leaves office? So instead of being the pinnacle of your life, being the prime minister of Britain, it's just a stop on your resume, as the Americans would put it. It's just uh, a, 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 another entry on your CV.
0: So before, before this was the precedent, for example, as Tony Blair has said, and you mentioned Cameron after, why would somebody...
1: Cameron. You said Cameron. Cameron. Cameron's a rapper. Same thing,
2: man. Yeah. Uh, no. He's a rapper, Cameron's Sorry. a crapper. <laughs> yeah.
0: Sorry. Cameron? Yeah. David yeah. Cameron.
2: Yeah, Cam. So
0: before Cam, what, why would you do such a job with all this immense stress? I can't think of a more stressful job. Like, for example, I'm the Prime Minister of Grime, yeah? Ah. And I literally can't sleep at night. Do you understand? Because it's, it's a lot of stress. And I don't get paid that well either. I mean, I get by, don't get me wrong. But I assume that in the Prime Minister world, he kind of gets by in his world kind of thing as well. Do you understand? Well, you so get- why would you do
2: it? Uh, well, I mean, you would look at Tony Blair and you'd say, I'll do this for 10 years yeah. if I'm lucky, uh, and then I'll become uh, worth 100 million pounds in the next eight years. Is that by him doing lectures? Because I heard he
3: gets paid no, stupid does, money for lectures. No, he does, but
2: it's not really mainly that. Okay. He works for dictatorships uh, in Kazakhstan, in Saudi Arabia, in, uh, in Kuwait. Basically, everyone that he pleased when he was prime minister, especially yeah. with the Iraq war. Uh, Or he works for the companies that he lightly taxed and lightly regulated, like the banks, uh, for example, J.P. Morgan, the big American buccaneer vulture capitalists. He works for them and he gets millions from each of them. With
1: all the whole drama of the invasion and all the people he had to essentially spend over for for certain things to happen, is he locked in a position where, not blackmailed, but... He has to continue to please these people for the rest of his life. He's actually a slave to the people
2: that well, he was the, working with. The best place for Blair would be in a prison cell uh, at The Hague with George Bush as his cellmate. And yeah. And could lock them up together for the rest of their natural... Are they natural... friends still to this day? Yeah, I'm sure they are, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. It was a grotesque relationship, I must say. Because Blair was supposed to be Labour. Yeah. Uh, Bush is a very right-wing Republican, yet the two of them were. Now, some people say that Blair was Bush's poodle. I never bought that. I thought he was Bush's brain. Mm. The brain, the president's Mm. brain otherwise being missing. Mm. Uh, Blair provided that brain.
0: Why do you think that um, England, not England, sorry, Great Britain, sorry, and America still have such a close relationship? Is it, is it, Sorry for being ignorant, but is it the strongest relationship that America has with another country?
2: No, it really isn't. It's okay. a big uh, it's a big myth that British people believe. Okay. British people believe there's a special relationship. But as I always put it, it's the kind of special relationship that Miss Lewinsky had with President Clinton. It's completely unequal. Uh, the junior partner spends a lot of time on their knees and they essentially do whatever the United States asks them to do. And they hope, it's like going back to the bullying theme. When there was a bully in your school, there was a lot of creeps hung around with the bully. First, so he wouldn't bully them. Second, so they might get some of the pickings uh, that the bully didn't want or brushed off his table. And that's the role that under Blair and since, we've been playing with the United States. And it's completely undignified. Yeah. So, so you think I'm, in
0: actual reality, sorry to cut you off. So you think in actual reality that the United States actually stands alone and doesn't really necessarily have any real close allies, even though it does have close allies and United Kingdom is probably one of them, not in reality is what you're saying.
2: The United States once said a president, not sure which once said uh that America doesn't have permanent friends. It has permanent interests. Yeah. So its interests are permanent. Its friends can come and Whoever go. Whoever will work. Yeah. Its friends can come and go.
1: I think on that note, on slandering, well not slandering, it's no, justified No, there's been no slander. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm an expert on that. Yeah.
1: We'll take a break. Alright. So we're back from a little break and if you was in, locked into part one, that was just a deep breakdown. So basically any YouTube conspiracy video you've seen that's like the truth behind everything else. You've heard so Iraq etc. But I feel like you're here with us. You're in our space, and we we talk. We talk about things like what is your knowledge of our scene, our music.
2: Well, obviously, I'm uh, well old enough to be your father, maybe your grandfather. So uh, my uh, my tastes will be different to yours. My wife is closer to your age, and she has much more uh, uh, up to date tastes. But both of us were uh, big fans of Prince, may God rest his soul. Oh yeah, how Uh, was it like meeting Prince? uh, I I, I met him uh, about 25 years ago, more than, and our meeting was through a mutual friend and he was interested in my stand on the first Iraq war. You'll remember the lines in the Money Don't Matter uh, tonight, um, about the the child dying in a cloud of gas. yeah, uh, And it's not worth a child dying for, the price of oil and so on. He was keenly interested in the Iraq war, the first Iraq war. And that was the basis on which our mutual friend introduced us. So I I hung out with him. He did, I think eight nights uh, in Earl's court, I think. Uh, So that would be about 92, maybe 93. Uh, He did eight nights. I went to every single one and then hung out with them afterwards and sometimes uh, during the day. Um, I have said to the other media who've asked me about this that I'm keeping my royal stories for my memoirs, but I'll give you more of an insight. He was a phenomenal, fantastic, unprecedented, unique person, uh, both as a musician and as a a person. He was electrifying, absolutely electrifying presence. I don't think he's ever been a better live performer. Don't think he's ever been a better dancer. Uh, as a multiple orchestrator of sound, he was, I think, without peer. There's, I think, one early track that he made that he he played twenty seven parts, twenty seven instruments uh, on the on the track, uh, and yet to meet him, it's like the conversation we are having here now. He wanted to know about my world, my take on uh, on international events, especially on the war and the Middle East and so on. And I wanted to know about his life. Yeah. Uh, so it was kind of magical. Did you speak to him in recent times before he passed? Or no, what? the last uh, time I had an exchange with him was uh, at the time of the second Iraq war uh, because uh, here we were back again. But he was quite a different guy then. He'd become religious a Jehovah's witness and uh, he was less interested in politics but he did respond uh to the point I was trying to encourage him to intervene with a song uh, or a statement in the run-up to that war in the way that he had been very unhappy about the first one but he didn't I suspect because he he'd basically taken this Jehovah witness uh turn so George what 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 kind of
0: impact do you think that um your political career has had in terms of your personal life? As you've mentioned before, you've got three children, both under, um, all three of them under the age of nine. Um, do you think that politics kind of made you have children quite late in life or is that just how things have panned out?
2: Well, uh, actually I have one earlier child who is herself now the mother of four. So I have four grandchildren and four children, um, but I have three very young children that I have obviously a responsibility for. Um, No, I think the key is, uh, you know, Manchester City are playing now. Their star player is Aguero. Aguero has a lot of children. And he takes his wife and all of his children everywhere. So he doesn't travel with the team, for example, because they wouldn't be able to accommodate that. He makes his own arrangements. He's Maradona's uh, son-in-law, by the way. Uh, and he's a family man, and he takes his family everywhere, and that makes him even more admirable in my view. Well, I try to do the same. Our uh, youngest kid's not here with us tonight, uh, but he would normally be. It was because we were recording. He's not even two. We thought he'd be creating havoc, <laughs> but he appears on... He comes to our television, recordings, he comes to radio shows, he comes on demonstrations and so on. I think you've got to involve your family or you're not gonna have a family. Uh, My wife and I worked together on television in making this Tony Blair film. She's with me here tonight now. She's constantly by my side and so is our kid. Um, So, you know, politics can break up your family if you let it, but if you, Want to keep it, and you should. Then the so thing you to do is want do your everything together
1: in the public domain on TV, on radio, in pictures. <coughs> well, on tablets. my
2: two older boys, yeah. uh, the nearly five and nearly nine, uh, I ask people not to show their pictures. Yeah. So just pixelate or show them from behind, just for security reasons. Uh-huh. Our youngest kid is a lot in social media until he's two, and then we'll start doing the same. With him, because you know, there's a lot of crazies out there, and I've been attacked many times. Like,
1: like when, what? I know you. Might have I was hospitalized
2: his... uh, um, just right after my 60th birthday. I was attacked in the street by a guy who was sentenced to 16 months in prison for the assault. I haven't entirely recovered from it. Um, it was a pretty savage uh, assault. In fact, I was assaulted three times in four months around that period. It was at the time of the Gaza war and feelings were very high. And supporters of Israel, uh, three of them attacked me uh, in the street, in two, or in one occasion in the street, in one occasion in front of 100,000 people at the Winter Wonderland in Hyde Park with CCTV cameras everywhere. And another time in a restaurant, uh, quite a Shishi restaurant in Notting Hill, can you believe it? so they were all dealt with, two of them were fined, one was sent to prison for quite a long time. So you don't want your kids' face necessarily to be uh in the media. Yeah, but but it uh, sort of
1: incidents, you just take it in a stride as it's it's just part and parcel overall. role.
2: No, it shouldn't be, because I was then uh, an elected MP. Yeah. Uh if if the boot had been on the other foot, if say a young Muslim had attacked a pro-Israel MP in the street and hospitalized them. Would have been a very big scandal. In my case, it wasn't all that much of a scandal. (laughs) So the power has double standards in everything, including political violence. Uh, So it shouldn't be this. Otherwise, you've not really got a democracy if your elected MPs can be attacked in the street for their uh, legitimate political views. But of course, it doesn't stop me because I believe in what I'm doing, I dusted myself down and limped on. But limp is the operative word. I mean, I still limp. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, I'm, you know, I started wearing this hat because my my head was damaged in it. Oh, okay. Um, I see. Not what's inside my head, I should say, <laughs> quickly, <laughs> but what's on the top of it.
0: How long is the term for mayor? Four years. Okay, cool. So after that, so say you are elected mayor, hopefully you are... Um, after that, what what are your aims? What do you want to achieve after that?
2: Well, if I was the mayor, I'd probably run for a second term. Mm-hmm. Ken Livingston ran for two and Boris Johnson served two also, although he kind of gave up halfway and tried to get back into Parliament as he promised he wouldn't. Uh, a lot of broken promises in that story. Uh, I'd probably run for a second term, which would take me up to, well, I'm 61 now, so That would take me up to close on 70. I think I'm you know, pretty young for my age and my wife keeps me young, my young children keep me young. Uh, If God gave me breath, I'd probably try and serve two terms.
0: What do you think of um, Boris's performance as male?
2: I think he's miserable. I think he's a joke figure and I think that's probably the more depressing part of his time.
0: Why? Elaborate?
2: Well, you know, he's a showman. But if there was a purpose to the showmanship, you could say, well, he's using some skills or some attributes that he's got. But with Boris, the comedy is all there is. And he's run London for eight years for people like him, very rich people from a very tiny part of the elite, the 1%, as we call them. He's run London for them. And that's why London has changed in so many ways to its detriment. We talked earlier, perhaps it was during the break, uh, about how working class people are being socially cleansed out of inner London. They simply can't afford to live here. Uh, So they move out as far as they can afford uh, the houses, and then they pay the most expensive tube fares in the world to come back in and work. So we have the highest rents in the world, the highest house prices in the world, and the highest tube fares in the world, go figure. You're driving the (laughs) poorest people out and then charging them eye-watering prices to come back in. And uh, Boris has presided over that. He has basically abandoned whole communities, like the one that we're sitting in now, in the east end of London, in favor of luxury developments. The whole Olympics development was, uh, of course, economically successful for some people, but for the local people, it was disastrous because they can no longer afford to live here they can't afford the rent. Yeah,
1: i just want to ask you seem to be someone who um regardless of their political alignment whether they're left right lib dem it doesn't matter if you don't like them or you have an issue with what they stand for you'll call them out do you have much friends in that whole political space or do you just keep yourself to yourself? Well, Jeremy
2: Corbyn was one of my few friends. Yeah. Uh, And as I say, I sat next to him literally. If you look at YouTube, my speeches in Parliament. He's always sitting next to me. Yeah. Uh, And uh, he was one of my few friends because he, like me, was in a sense in the political wilderness. Whilst the Blairites and the Brownites towered over everything and everybody, we stuck fast to what we believed in. And our teacher was Tony Benn. The late Tony Benn was the greatest socialist leader that Britain ever produced. And his books and his speeches, get them on YouTube, speeches in parliament, speeches on the anti-war marches and so on, really inspired us and taught us a lot. And I was with Mr. Benn from the 1970s until his death, we, we attended his funeral in Westminster. Uh, and Jeremy and me are, in a sense, his sons. Yeah. Uh, politically speaking, he does have sons that are in politics, but they're very different to him. Uh, what do you think
0: about um, his son's speech?
2: I thought it was very shocking and disrespectful to his father's uh, memory. I, I might be old-fashioned. Some people say, well, you're not under any obligation to uh, you know, follow your father's uh, line. It's not the way I really look at things. I mean, it seems to be a congenital thing in the upper ranks of the Labour Party because... You'll remember Ed Miliband knifed his own brother, his older brother, in the back in order to get the gig. Personally, coming as I do from the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition, I, I just think that that is wrong and disrespectful. I might have a different view to—I might have had a different view to my late father, but I would never go on television and rubbish what my father has spent his life uh, saying. I would find that impossible to do because you can't say, I'm going I'm- I'm to paint everything my father stands for as ridiculous, rubbish, but I still love my father. I- I- that doesn't wear with me. But again, I might be old-fashioned. What
0: are the top five things then you want to change if you are elected as a mayor?
2: Well, all the students will go free on transport, public transport in London. School students, college and university students will go free. that would be a tremendous boost to a, a lot of people.
0: And just before you continue, the rest of the four. So if you are mayor, is it you that makes these decisions and nobody can tell you anything?
2: No, it's me that makes these decisions. What if the prime minister uh, doesn't agree? No, it's it's, uh, power that the mayor has. Okay. Uh, So all the kids will go free because the school kids got their education maintenance allowance taken off them. The college and university uh, students got the... The tuition fees tripled, which I opposed their very introduction in the first place by labor, and then the Tories and the Lib Dems tripled them. So we need to incentivize young people to continue studying, uh, both for their own sake, but also for society's sake. I, I don't believe that education is a cost. I believe it's an investment. So it's not like I'm throwing away thousands of pounds on young people i'm investing in young people and that will later be for the benefit of all of us uh so i suppose for your viewership that would be my number one policy but uh i did touch earlier i think on the question of the police
3: yeah. in
2: large community large parts of london the police are uh, an occupying force they don't look like london they don't uh, police everybody Uh, irrespective, the same irrespective of what color they are or what color their shirt collar is, by the way. If you pick somebody's pocket in Liverpool Street Station, you'll be in jail pretty quick. But if you pick the bank's pocket of millions of pounds, you've got no chance of ending up behind bars. So they police white-collar crime differently to uh, blue-collar crime and they police black, Asian, other minority uh, people in a different way See, I've been in London 35 years. I have had nothing but good service off the police. Now, I'm white, and for most of that time, I've been a prominent person. Maybe the prominent person thing was the the, uh, X factor. But I'm in no doubt at all that the police come faster to help you if you live in certain postcodes, that they treat crime against you differently, If you live in Belgravia or if you live on the Walworth Road, uh, I've got no doubt that the experience of... See, stop and search. Let's take stop and search. Every one of us who passes through an airport is stopped and searched. But the experience is never bad. Almost never Well, my experience
1: of the police is only just being stopped and searched.
2: Well, right. And nobody emerges from these stops and search from the police in the same way you emerge from an airport stop and search. You emerge... Resentful, yeah, why did he pick on me? Yeah, I know why he picked on me exactly. Why yeah. did he speak to me in that manner? Would he have spoke to him in that manner? Yeah, or her? Uh like
1: my experience is just community support officers. But I guess in your position, you've dealt with the police at a higher level. Like what kind of experiences have you had that's interesting? Like well, we when I was yeah,
2: well, when I was the MP in Bethnal Green in Tower Hamlets, I could say that roughly, 20 times more often would you be stopped and searched if you were a young Asian Muslim than if you were somebody that looked like me. Yeah. 20, maybe 25, disputed But how figures. do you,
1: you being a, a white male and you're not someone who they'll necessarily target, but you're, you act as someone in defense of the people yeah. who are oppressed yeah. in that sense. Well, so how do, you fight, uh, uh, how do you fight about with them directly? Well,
2: no, Well, I do, and they, they know, all the police know, that if I'm the mayor, everything's going to change. I mean, people <laughs> ask me, what's the first thing that you're going to do? The first thing I'm going to do is meet the commissioner of yeah. the Metropolitan Police, and I'm going to say to him, everything's got to change around here. The police have got to start looking like London. The leadership of the police has got to start looking like London, and people have got to be policed exactly the same, whoever they are, whatever colour they are. How do you get rid of the hidden agendas in the
3: police? Like, for example, you look at Stephen Lawrence, the whole case. I mean, it was recently brought up. One of the chief police officers involved in the case retired before they could put him in or charge him or do anything like that. What's your
2: take on, like, how would you get rid of the agenda? Like, how do you do it? Well, it's 23 years almost to the day Mm. since Stephen Lawrence was murdered. And it's a bit like the John Charles and the Mark Duggan case in this regard, that uh, he was slain. He was actually partly slandered but worse, the people that killed him were in league with, or at least their families were in league with some of the police that were investigating the crime. And then the police sent an undercover agent in to the house, not of the killers but of Stephen Lawrence. They had an undercover agent working in Stephen Lawrence's campaign. He was never out of Neville and Doreen's house. And so, ins- so the victim became the potential criminal. And this is simply unconscionable. Now, to be fair, they set up the McPherson inquiry. Its findings were unequivocal that the Metropolitan Police is institutionally racist, and we're gonna do something about it. And they did try and do something about it, and then it all went flat. And so the number of minority officers now in the force is lower than it was, lower than it was at the time of the McPherson inquiry. But do you think that's
1: because people from our communities don't actually want to be a part of that system because there's such bad blood between us?
2: Yeah, but I, I, I think that's the thing that we have to break. We, we, the reason that the communities feel that there's bad blood is because there is bad blood. So you've got to uh, get rid of the bad blood. And then uh, when you are offering jobs in the police, there would be jobs worth having. Everybody needs the police. God forbid if somebody burst in here now uh, with a machete. Uh, no, we would dial nine 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 and we'd hope that the police came very quickly. Uh, now, given where we are and what we are, maybe maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. I don't. I don't want to jump to conclusions on that. But uh, we'd need them to, or we we might all be dead. We would certainly all be robbed. So. This uh this bad blood has to be dispelled and the only way it can be dispelled is by making the force behave differently. Well this commissioner only has 12 months left to go so if I'm the mayor I'll be picking the next commissioner. And oh well, you have that power? Yeah and I'm insisting that the leadership of the police has to look like London and that means a very big Uh, Change Now, on the BBC today, they gave me a hard time over this pledge. We want the best person for the job. I said, well, how good do you have to be? Like the woman that ran the John Charles Menezes uh, killing, she got promoted. The establishment promotes themselves, and they keep it themselves. And when you say, we need a black police chief, no, 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 we need the best person for the job. What, Bernard Hogan howe? See the best you can get. He's from up north, isn't he? He doesn't even live in London or wasn't from London originally. That's the least of his weaknesses. He said in a Scottish accent. Uh, um, the, uh, the, the, the point is, uh, he has not managed to change this canteen culture. Because you're right, it's partly that some of our people don't want to join the police cause of the bad blood, but it's yeah. also that those that do join the police Find it such a shockingly racist experience, as many an undercover documentary has demonstrated. I've seen things about KKK yeah, and unbelievable. rituals, people and all that wearing stuff. Uh, yeah. KKK hoods. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't make it up. Uh, so, now, so I'm saying if I'm the mayor, there'll be a big statement appointment as the next commissioner of the Metropolitan Police. What there'll kind be an of person? appointment that will make a big yeah. statement.
1: What kind of person, as a high commissioner, who is the actual face of London because it's so diverse? How do you pick one person? If you pick, say, I don't know, just a young black female, for instance,
2: would her be views may idea. not... If you know a suitable candidate who's young, black and female, <laughs> I'll hire her right away. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but at the same time, she may not reflect the views of other communities like the Asian community or the Islamic community if she's a Christian. So how do you find that balance? Someone who's...
2: Well, I, to interpret I, London. of course, there are many different minorities. Yeah. But all the minorities suffer discrimination, bigotry, racism. And you would have thought that if you pick the right candidate, that they would be able to transcend their own particular part of the minorities spectrum and do good for not just all the other minorities, but for the well-being of the city as a whole uh as i say how good do you have to be to be better than what we've uh, already got uh, but we we may need to look out, uh, outside the country uh it may be if I, i'll give you a hint the only country in the whole world where crime is going down is tokyo in japan why now, i want to know why i don't know why yeah. uh but it is In fact, the only part of the crime statistics going up is crime amongst people over 65. (laughs) uh, I know, granny uh, granny and granddad uh, crime. Now, it's quite a sad story actually because the reason these pensioners are committing crimes is so they can get sent to prison. And if they get sent to prison, they'll get fed, they'll get a bed, and most importantly, they won't be lonely because they'll be surrounded by lots of other people. How sad is that?
1: That just made me think of places like Amsterdam, where the crime is relatively low. I think it's to a point where they're having to get rid of prisons because there isn't enough space to fill people in. How do you feel about legalization of that 4.20 last week of cannabis?
2: Well, my wife is from Amsterdam, uh, (laughs) and uh, uh, she'll vouch for the fact that it's a very, very much more, uh, how shall I put it? Uh, it's not crime-free, of course, but you would generally feel pretty safe in most parts yeah. of Amsterdam. Uh, but it's much smaller than us. It's less than one million. We are more than eight million. Uh, I think the whole issue of substance is now a complete farce. You, They tried to ban paupers a few weeks ago until they discovered that half the House of Commons was using them. Are you serious? Uh, and then they what quickly... Popper? Uh, a popper is a, uh, a substance that mainly gay people sniff uh, during sex. And uh, one MP after another <laughs> stood up and said, wait a minute, I use these, uh, I use these poppers. There's nothing wrong with them. Why And not so. the smoking cannabis? The uh, MPs. Uh, and uh, the, so the... the, uh, the You know, my wife used to smoke cigarettes until very recently, like last night. Uh, And uh, she's always making the point that in the supermarket, the cigarettes are locked up behind grey steel doors. You're not allowed to look at them. Yet alcohol is on sale aisle after aisle of cheap price alcohol. Now I'm a non-smoker and I've never tasted alcohol in my life. I feel particularly bad You've about it. You've never that.
0: tasted alcohol?
2: Never, never in my whole life. Nor my father before me. Why uh, though? We just uh, were brought up to hate it, hate the effect that it had on the working class There's people. Not one taste. Never, never tasted it. Not even, even, by not even a wine gum. <laughs> but even by accident. <laughs> even by accident. So, you know, I, I find that particularly galling because, of course, smoking is harmful and I did it for 40 years, Uh, but it's not nearly as harmful as alcohol. And if paupers are first to be illegal, and then they're legal, the whole thing is a mess. So we need a proper review uh, with decision-making powers to decide what should be decriminalized, what should be legal, and what should be illegal. But do you feel that the way they've changed it
3: from class C to B and they keep moving it back and forth, do you think that's... A, what do you, what do you? What's the reason
2: for that? Because it well, was C, then
3: it was B, uh, then it was C, then it was, C, then it was yeah. B. Like, Is it a political agenda? Well, or? But, yeah,
2: I mean, politicians are scared to uh, act on what they actually think on this because the media will monster them and uh, they fear that they will lose uh, politically because cannabis smokers probably don't vote. In very large numbers (laughs) uh i've never taken any drug uh so i'm not in a position to know or say what effect it has but i'm fairly convinced that of the drugs cannabis is the least harmful and it doesn't make sense when we've got a prison population bulging at the seams to be arresting people for and
1: i guess it's a thing of revenue of how much it generates but, and in the same sense, there's loads of debates of whether we should legalise it or not. But if we do, for money, where it goes, it's going to a completely different demographic and it will only just turn into shawdick sure calves and it will just become the next pulled pork in Brick Lane.
2: Well, I saw uh, in Hyde Park the other day, we took our uh, open-top bus, which happened to be playing Bob Marley, Buffalo Soldier. <laughs> and uh, I saw these people in Hyde Park and a cloud of smoke above them, they had all lit up in the uh, protest Uh, they liked the music and we got a good wave uh, on the bus and it was purely coincidental uh, too Um, it's there's a difference between decriminalization and legalization, I wouldn't like to see WD and HO wills go into full scale cigarette production of cannabis joints and actually I think quite a lot of cannabis smokers wouldn't like that either We don't want to turn it into just another, uh, you know, source of monopoly uh, profit. My main concern is that uh, by criminalizing cannabis, you drive people, as it were, underground and into the underworld uh, to find suppliers who might then supply things that are more dangerous and might get them involved in things that are more harmful. So decriminalization, if you force me right now, would probably be my option, but I don't know enough. So that's why I say we need this review to uh, study all our substances, including alcohol and tobacco and poppers. Uh, you ask me what poppers are, I don't know what they look like, but we had a, we had a, we had a, a very old fashioned Tory called Jacob Rees-Mogg on our television show. And he said in a very upper class, almost Dickensian way. Poppers, I thought those were things that children pooled at Christmas parties. <laughs> but it turns out they have a different purpose.
0: So before we close up, what do you want the people to know? What do you want them to know for as to reasons to vote for you as opposed to the other If candidates? I was
2: summing up uh, in a soundbite, which I never like to do and you've been very generous with your time, <laughs> I, I would say that London is a great world city. It needs a big figure to run it needs a big figure to lead it. And lead is the operative word. At the risk of uh, quoting uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in one of his uh, infamous trash movies, he he said, I'm a leader, not a reader. It's actually quite a good line. I'm a leader, not a reader. I'll employ the readers. I'll employ the guys that uh, sit down with the slide rule and the calculating book and uh, work out the details. I'll be the leader. I'll set the tone and our tone is peace, justice, and equality. And I think those three words sum up me, they sum up our movement, and they sum up what in their hearts most people want. We don't want a London that's the capital of a country that's constantly at war, invading and occupying other people's countries. Uh, We want justice so that Mark Duggan's family get justice, so that John Charles' family get justice, neither of whom have had justice. We want justice in the sense that the police treat everybody the same. And we want equality. We'll never get perfect equality. As it happens, I am a follower of the ancient Greek philosopher Aristotle who said that the richest of us should be no more than three times richer than the poorest of us. And for me, that would be pretty perfect harmony. You're always gonna have people that are ahead of others, But the man at the back should always be able to see the man at the front. And the woman at the front should always be able to see the woman at the back. And that can't happen if you have a London which is more divided in terms of wealth today than it was when Charles Dickens wrote Oliver Twist. That's a fact, by the way. The gap between rich and poor in in Oliver Twist, you remember it from the story, barefoot street urchins. Picking a pocket or two living uh, in uh, living with rascals and uh, and pimps essentially uh, with no schooling and no hope whilst the well-to-do lived in beautiful terraces and traveled in horses and carriages and lived the life of plenty that was a pretty divided London but our London is more divided than that I know that because I asked the parliamentary questions which elicited that information. So it's good that some people live well here. I've got no problem uh, with the fact that some people live well, but those people who are living well don't need a mayor on their side. They can look after themselves. The people that need a mayor on their side are the people who are not doing well or are struggling to be able to do well, and they need a help to be able to do well. Businesses like this, for example, I'm not interested in helping the banks become more richer. I'm interested in helping this company flourish.
0: We like that. Because, this is, that. The, <laughs>
2: because this, is the, this is the future culture. Look, our language is our most precious asset. Just by reasons of chance and history, ours is the universal language. Therefore, we are the perfect place to be the English language factory whether it is in uh, music uh, or literature or teaching, uh, London is the, uh, should be the capital uh, of all that. So uh, we've got FinTech resources. I told you about the blockchain. This was developed here in London. We've got people in the Shoreditch corridor who are smarter than anybody in Silicon Valley and Los Angeles, smarter, way smarter. They were ahead of the game. We invented a lot of this stuff. Uh, We've invented a lot of stuff. I speak as a Scotsman, and we invented electricity, the television, the telephone, penicillin. I could go on, believe me. Uh, This is a very smart uh, country. And uh, if not for the waste and war in which we're constantly involved, we could be a a great society and i want london to be a great society
3: and for those that want to like take part in a respect party or join you on your so-called party bus and listen to bob marley like what do they
2: do how do they go about it like uh they can contact us uh galloway 2016.london is our website you can contact us through that or i'll I'll tell i'll give you my own personal email which is george at galloway.global and you can come on our bus bob marley's the half of it we've yeah. got, <laughs> Prince. <laughs> What's that one that the youngest people have Dr. We've got Finale, of course, but uh, that one, the we've got the we had to scrub yeah, the words yeah. out of it. But but the, the, there's there's one that the lyrics are very very yeah. Dr Dre. Dre. Oh. That's that. Well, you can laugh, but that's the one that gets everybody <laughs> going.
3: One. Yeah, we have to do the <laughs> instrumental because the, the words are too
2: dirty. Who's
1: actually picking the music on the bus? Is it you guys or we've you've got, got a DJ? A, we've a
2: got a group uh, of people, but we're in the market for better DJs. Better selectors, uh, yeah. But uh, Pharrell Williams uh, is one of my favourites. But the uh, this Dr. Dre, is it Dr. Dre? Dr. Dre, yeah. The chronic master. Yeah. That's it. That's it. <laughs> That gets everybody moving. It's provocative. <laughs> And it's perfect for speaking over, you see. Yeah. So you're playing that as the bass. It sounds
0: what like it's a big spin. Can we get a freestyle? Yeah, free sp- sp- yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: <laughs> I'm uh, George Galloway, uh. and I'm running for Mayor Gee. of London. A London for all, not just those dripping in gold. Uh. A London for all, easy. wherever <laughs> you came from, Boss. whatever colour you are, uh. however you pray. That's what we say. Respect How about you?
1: Easy, easy.
3: No. <laughs> Yo, I get him <laughs> 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 uh, big up George Galloway.
0: Yo. I think that's a perfect way of rounding up today's interview with George Galloway. Thank you so much for your time. You've been here for hours. We really appreciate I know.
2: it. I actually, loved it. It's we the best too. meeting I've had in the whole campaign. Yeah. <laughs> <I> love that. <laughs> uh, TBC podcast is uh, is the top cat of podcasts. Uh, love that. <laughs> Speaking of
0: cats, a big problem now. I always
2: say I'm a cat,
3: but I'm a tiger. (laughs) Appreciate your time, George. Welcome. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Best of luck.